This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It is time to preview the year's final major. It is time to put a bow on the Grand Slam season in 2019. We'll do that, as always, in Flushing, Queens, New York, the U.S. Open, my home major. I'm very excited. Love this tournament and so much at stake. So a couple housekeeping things uh, before I give my overall impressions on the draw itself. Then I'll go quarter by corner. Uh, talk about the final weekend, and then we will get out of here until Monday. Uh, I apologize for the sound quality, which uh, I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I imagine not very good. Uh, I'm missing a cable that I would need for my microphone, and uh, I'll, I'll try to grab that as soon as possible. But right now, I'm right off my, uh, my laptop with the audio. Second thing, um, a couple changes... Um, I'm going to give the quarter, the entire quarterfinal. I can tell you, I can show you guys this later, but I'm going to change the way I do things a, a teeny bit. So my overall impressions of the draw, uh, I'll start at the bottom. We always start at the top. Let's change it up. Um, I think that Nadal will be happy and unhappy. I don't think he'll be very happy that the highest seed in his quarter is Karen Hatchinoff. Uh, because, as I said last year, and you guys were calling me crazy, pointing to the head-to-head, which was either 3-0 or 2-0 Nadal, Karen Hatchinoff has a great foil to Rafa Nadal. He loves the high bounce. He loves to take it the ball up high. Um, he loves to step in to a high backhand, which is exactly what he gets with Nadal's uh, high topspin cross-court forehand that often drops short in the court. Um, Hatchinov, six foot six. He he loves that, and these conditions are great for him. So I would argue that Nadal would rather play the red hot Daniil Medvedev in the quarterfinals than Karen Hatchinov. I just think it's a tough matchup for him. And and you got the big serve uh, on the Russian as well. On the other hand, he avoided the the same half as Federer and Djokovic, which is a, a huge plus for Nadal, who's struggled with, with both of them recently off of clay. 
and I'll just say on hardcourt specifically. Um, so that's good. It's Dominic Team. It's good for Nadal. Uh, it's, he's got Dominic Team in his half. And that's something that I don't think Dominic Team will be very happy about because I feel like Team would rather play Federer or Djokovic than Rafa Nadal. I think Nadal is a really tough matchup for Team. Nadal returns serve so well against Team, really takes away his favorite serve. Team likes to, to kick it to the righty backhand. When Nadal's way back in the court and it's going to his big lefty forehand, I think Rafa returns very well against Team. I think Nadal does a great job of keeping it away from Team's forehand, making him hit a lot of backhands. So I feel like Team would rather play Novak Djokovic, who he beat in his in his last time playing best of five, and I think Team would rather play Roger Federer, who he beat on the most similar uh, surface to the U.S. Open at this point in time, which is probably Indian Wells earlier this year. Now we go to Federer's quarter. I think Federer will be uh, pretty happy. I don't see that many overall threats. Um, of course, he's in Djokovic's quarter. He would have probably a better chance of reaching the final if he were in team or Nadal's half, is what I meant to say. And uh, he would rather be in team or Nadal's half. On the other hand, I'm sure um, he'll be excited if he gets to try to avenge this Wimbledon loss. I'll get the Wimbledon loss against Novak Djokovic in the final. I'll get more to Federer's psyche a little bit later once we get to his quarter. Uh, and then for uh, for Novak Djokovic, it's it's hard to say because he's uh, he's he's expected to beat everyone, and I don't feel like Daniil Medvedev. My my feeling on him drawing Daniil Medvedev is yes, that's probably the person he was hoping not to get in his quarter, as far as seeds number five through eight. He's probably hoping not to get Daniil Medvedev. But I, I really, I've expressed this, and I'll get more into it momentarily. Um, I don't see Medvedev as a massive threat to Djokovic in best of five in this U.S. Open. There's the thumbnail, the beautiful Arthur Ashe. Biggest venue in the sport. And let us not waste any time and move to Novak Djokovic's quarter of the draw. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to try to pay more attention to the top seeds and just because I feel like I always talk about, you know, a dark horse and I always talk about who I think I'm winning the quarter, but I feel like I could do a better job of covering kind of seeds number 20 through 32 who aren't really eligible for my dark horse pick. So sometimes I ignore them, even though they're very dangerous and can do big things. The other change that I'm making is I'm showing my quarterfinal matchup. Someone um, reached out to me on Twitter and said, why don't you show us the quarterfinal instead of just saying who you think is going to come through? And I think that's a good idea. Making a, a, a major quarterfinal is, uh, is a big deal. And if I think someone's going to lose, make the quarterfinal and lose there, I think that's worth, uh, worth going over. So top seeds are Novak Djokovic. Daniil Medvedev, Fabio Fanini, Kevin Anderson, Nicholas Basilashvili, and Taylor Fritz. Djokovic coming into this tournament, here's what I want to say before I get into this quarter. This was not a tournament where I knew all summer that I was going to pick, uh, that I thought that Novak Djokovic was definitely going to be my pick to win the U.S. Open. And I'll admit when that happens. For example, Australia this year. Didn't really matter what happened in Doha. 
didn't really matter what the draw was going to be. Regardless of what that stuff looked like, I, I had my pick. But I got to say over the course of this year, Djokovic has been the best player on tour. But I don't, I feel like to say he's been dominant would be a little bit too strong. To say that he is untouchable would be too strong. I think that he's he's shown some shortcomings at times. Shortcomings, um, I don't know if, how much I want to get into it, but I don't, the, the point is, I don't think he's been indestructible. So I was looking carefully at Cincinnati. How is Novak Djokovic going to look? I was looking carefully at this draw. Is it going to suit Djokovic and give him the best chance to win? And you'll see kind of what I came up with when I get to my final weekend. But that's what I want to say about Novak Djokovic. Clearly the favorite, but definitely um, I was uh, something that I had to think about. And I had to watch Cincinnati and I had to look at the draw. Daniil Medvedev is the hottest player on tour right now. The, the biggest question with Medvedev is... Did he play too much tennis in August? Is he going to come in tired? The other question is, well, he hasn't proven himself in best of five, so to speak. His, his best accomplishment at a major is probably losing to Novak Djokovic in the Australian Open this year and giving him the toughest test that he had had all tournament or ever went on to have in the tournament. Fabio Fanini, always dangerous. Uh, a slow enough hardcore for Fanini to have success. He's beaten Nadal in New York. Kevin Anderson coming back from injury. Dangerous if healthy. Dangerous if in form. We just haven't seen that yet. Uh, Basilashvili. I love this. Uh, I love these conditions for Basilashvili. Uh, slow enough to give him time to load up his power, uh, but also will. I, I I do feel like these courts reward power quite a bit, and that's what Basilashvili has. Taylor Fritz, I'd say the strongest American in this draw. Stronger than John Isner, stronger than Francis Tiafo, stronger than Riley Opelka. Uh, I saw him practicing with Monfils, was pretty impressed. I just think that Fritz has been very consistently putting up good results. And he could be dangerous, but he'll have to go through Daniil Medvedev. He's, he's a buzzsaw right now. That'll be difficult. My quarterfinal is... Novak Djokovic and Daniil Medvedev, and I do have Djokovic uh, coming through. What I want to say about that is I don't feel like... Well, okay, so Medvedev has beaten Novak Djokovic twice. He beat him in Monte Carlo, and I don't think that Djokovic was in shape. I don't think that he was fit, had the cardio, and Medvedev got the best of him. Credit to Medvedev for taking advantage of that. In Cincinnati, I feel like Medvedev played an unrepeatable match. The average first serve speed was 5 to 10 miles per hour faster than his regular average. His average second serve speed was 10 to 15 miles per hour faster than his average second serve speed. Th these are not sustainable numbers. Medvedev's level on serve in this match is not something that he will be able to repeat, in my opinion. It's not something that he probably would have been able to repeat had that very match been best of five. Now, it'll be a week later, um, and 
the match will start best of five. I just don't feel like the way Medvedev played in that match is something that he can do again. I don't see it as a uh, anything repeatable. Meanwhile, Novak Djokovic in Cincinnati thought he looked fit. I think he was playing good tennis. He looked motivated. Um, so I have Djokovic um, coming through this quarter. Dark horse, dark horse, that is, El Caballo. Um, that would be Hubert Hrakach, the young pole. Solid off both wings, very solid ball striker. Young, I mean, I don't have much to say here, but I was kind of combing through the unseeded players, and Hrakach is the one guy who caught my eye. Fabio Fanini is on upset alert. It's a lot to do with his draw, which is Riley Opelka. I think that I think it's fair to say that a lot of tennis fans aren't very excited to see another kind of John Isner coming up the ranks. I think some people enjoy watching him play, but a lot of people don't. But I think Riley Opelka actually can bring a little bit more to the table than John Isner at that at this point in his career. I think he's further ahead than John Isner in his movement and his ground stroke game. In New York, home crowd, hard courts that he presumably grew up playing on. Uh, I feel like Fanini could have uh, could have some trouble in this matchup. So Fanini's on upset alert mainly due to his first round draw, which is Riley Opelka. And early popcorn. It is Stan Wawrinka, former champion, against Yannick Sinner, Italian teenager who admittedly I need to watch with more length, but lots of hype around him, hits the ball huge off the ground, seems to be just a really incredibly talented ball striker coming up the ranks. And uh, qualifiers are always dangerous. Always dangerous. They're always on a three-match win streak. They're always used to the conditions right off the bat. Uh, I feel like this is going to be a first-round matchup that you're not going to want to miss. So that's the popcorn matchup. Let's drink some coffee. And move on to Roger Federer's quarter, the number three seed. Joining him is Kei Nishikori, Borna Chorich, David Gafan, Guido Pela, uh, Milos Raonic, and Luka Pui. The, the main buzz around Roger Federer right now is, can he recover, especially after his loss to Andre Rublev in Cincinnati, is can he recover from the Djokovic final, or is that going to leave some scar tissue? I think that the long-term mental damage from losing a close match is a little bit overblown by most of the media. That's my opinion. I feel like losing badly to rivals, getting blown out by rivals, that is damaging. That can shake your confidence. But having match points, losing match points, while it is guttingly disappointing, while it is very traumatic in the moment and maybe the weeks after the event, I don't feel like there are major long-term effects on confidence. Djokovic has gotten the best of Federer repeatedly in recent history. Does that play an effect on Roger Federer when, when those two play? Yes. 
But will but was the Wimbledon final really a step back for Roger Federer mentally against Djokovic? I don't think so. It could be a step forward. One analogy I want to make here is think about Nadal coming so close in the 2007 Wimbledon final against Federer. Do you think that he went into the 2008 Wimbledon final with shaken confidence because he had his chances in 2007 and he blew it? Or do you think that he went into 2008 thinking, I almost did it last year. I can do this. I think that losing heartbreaking matches as a blow to confidence is overblown by the media. Roger Federer also said that this is the healthiest he's felt going into New York in quite some years. And I think that that's been a big problem for Federer. The year's last slam, I think he's generally beat up by this time of year. And the conditions are hard, uh, difficult to hit through, and difficult physically. Kenya Shikori, oh so consistent. Um, has he had some injury trouble? I got to brush up on, on Kenya Shikori. I think he has. I don't know. This is something deep in my brain. I feel like I feel like he had an injury. But Kenny Shikori, oh so consistent and uh, good on these courts, former finalist. Borna Chorich, quite a mess. First round exits, or at least first match exits. I don't know if he, if he had a bye in either of the tournaments, but in Montreal and Cincinnati. David Gafan, confidence from Cincinnati perhaps, but I will stress how different the conditions are in New York compared to Cincinnati. Uh, they are not similar. Maybe at some point in this video we'll get into this. Uh, Milos Raonic hasn't been a great year for the Canadian. Uh, I haven't trusted the Canadian to win big matches in, in quite some time, but definitely someone who can go deep in this quarter. And Luca Pui, who's playing quite well recently and I think is deserving of some, um, some attention with the talent that he has. My quarterfinal is Roger Federer defeating Kane Ishikori. Nothing too dangerous for Ishikori that I predicted um, him to go out early, so I do have him making the quarter, but quite a comfortable quarterfinal I think it would be for Roger Federer. Uh, this would be a rematch of the Wimbledon quarterfinal, I believe, uh, where Nishikori did get through Wimbledon quite easily. Um, so it wasn't really fatigue in that match, but Federer was uh, too much to handle for K. My dark horse is Dan Evans. That's who stood out to me here. Um, nothing, nothing overly specific about Evans, but I feel like he's been building momentum since, since the grass court season. Philip Kohlschreiber's an interesting first round. Luca Pui in the second round. Um, and that would be a matchup with a lot of offense. Um, but I like the tennis that Dan Evans is playing. And I feel like he's the most dangerous unseeded player in this quarter. Roger Federer would be next if he got through Pui. Upset alert is Borna Chorich. So I mentioned Chorich hasn't been in much form. I also watched him practice against Felix Ojealiasim, and I just feel like he's a little bit tormented right now with his aggressive tennis. He's, he's not feeling the ball very well, in, in my opinion, just from watching him. Uh, he's not very confident finishing points. He's not very confident going for a lot. And 
I, he's not in a good place right now for whatever reason. I'm not really sure why. I thought that he would have kind of a breakout year, um, but that hasn't happened so far. Early popcorn in this quarter, there is none. Just going to comb through this quarter, make sure I didn't miss anything. Alex D. Menor, also an unseeded player in this quarter. Uh, I think that the U.S. Open, if it plays like it did last year, it's a little slow for D. Menor, so I do have Kane Shikori beating the Australian. We could get a rematch. These two seem to play a lot of Guido Pela and David Gaffan. They've split their last two matchups. Let's move on now to the bottom half. Why don't we? It's Dominic Team's quarter. My impression of this quarter is, by the way, I think it's going to be the most fun. This quarter's got a lot going for it. Dominic Team, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Roberto Bautista Agu, Gael Monfils, Felix Ojealiasim, Matteo Berrettini, and Nick Kyrgios. I mean, can you can you imagine building a quarter that's more fun than this? This is there's popcorn overflowing in this quarter. This is the most exciting quarter. Dominic Team is someone who didn't have much success in Montreal uh, or Cincinnati. But I knew going into this hardcourt season, I was going to ignore Team's results in Montreal and Cincinnati. I don't care. It's too fast for him over there, and it's not too fast for him in New York. With the heavier Wilson U.S. Open balls, with the slower conditions... A tournament that he impressed at last year, taking Rafa Nadal five sets, one of, if not the best match of last year's U.S. Open, coming out the next year, building on it, and winning Indian Wells, the slowest hardcore on tour. A hardcore very similar to the U.S. Open, in my opinion. Dominic Team's here to play. I don't think it matters what happened in Cincinnati or Montreal. I don't think it matters that he lost first round against Sam Query in Wimbledon. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. None of that matters. Uh, I do think Team is very, very dangerous because his career is has continued to develop nicely under head coach Nicholas Massieu. For his power, how few errors he's making, it's scary. It's scary. Now we uh, have Stefano Stitipas and... That's someone who has been kind of surprisingly disappointing recently. Disappointing losses in Montreal and Cincinnati. Has no momentum. I'm not really sure why. And he has a killer draw first round, Andre Rublev. Roberto Bautista Agut has been, with Daniil Medvedev, one of the most consistent beaters of non-big three players on hard courts on tour. Did that make sense? The man has done a lot of winning on hard courts. He is now a top 10 player. Well-deserved, and congratulations to Roberto Bautista Agu. 
You also have Gail Monfils, whose form was post-Australian Open on the hard courts, was extremely impressive, was derailed by injury, but now appears to be back. Semi-final or quarter-final? Quarter-final in Montreal? Gail Monfils, I think, is, uh, is quite dangerous, even at 33 years of age. Felix Auger-Aliassime. We know how much of an explosive prospect he is, but if he's gonna, con excuse me, if he's gonna continue the double faulting woes, it's not gonna be easy for the Canadian. Also, a brutal first round draw in his countryman Denis Shapovalov. Matteo Berrettini, a lot of power, a lot of offense, big serve, dangerous guy, and Nick Kyrgios in the top thirty. He is seated at the U.S. Open. He had a hardcourt title this summer in Washington, D.C. He also had blow-ups, such as the one that he had in Cincinnati. He also lost early in Montreal. So we saw the best of Nick Kyrgios, and we saw the worst of Nick Kyrgios. Which Nick Kyrgios are we going to get? I mean, this, this quarter is interesting. It's, it's the best quarter to watch. I have team taking out Roberto Bautista Agu. My dark horse is Andre Rublev, who I think has a great chance at beating Tsitsipas in the first round. I think Rublev is fantastic at attacking righty backhands. I think he's going to try to pin Tsitsipas in that quarter. He beat Roger Federer in Cincinnati. Tsitsipas is a pretty similar prototype. And right now, the confidence disparity between these two should be pretty substantial with Rublev feeling great about himself and Tsitsipas not feeling very good about himself. Upset alert is Felix Auger-Aliassime. A lot of that is due to his draw. I do give Denis Shapovalov the edge. The number one criticism with Shapovalov right now in his career is I feel like all of his success has been on very similar surfaces. I don't think he's had really much of any success on grass, on clay, on very fast hard courts, that includes indoor hard courts. I feel like all of his success, slow hard courts. Slow hard courts, Shapovalov's been strong. Anything else, not so much. It's a slow hard court. He's good again. If he's serving well, I don't think anyone wants to face Denis Shapovalov and his offensive, relentless uh, baseline game with, you know, as much razzle-dazzle as he can bring to the court. I haven't seen him in Winston-Salem. That's the only thing I'll say. So I'm not really sure how he's looked there. I know he's playing that tournament, um, but I think that he wins that first round. Early popcorn, I've already hit on him, but it's Tsitsipas versus Rublev and OJ Aliasim versus Shapovalov. We now move on to the final quarter, which is the number two seed, Rafa Nadal's quarter. His top seed is the soul-searching Alexander Zverev, also Karen Hatchinoff, John Isner, Marin Cilic, Diego Schwartzman, Benoit Paer, and Fernando Verdasco. Nadal did what he had to do this summer. He comes into Montreal, no fetter, no Djokovic, handles business. Gets better throughout that week. By the end, he had found his form. In the beginning, he didn't have it. But, but he peaked, he got his game to exactly where he needed to be, and then, in my opinion, smartly, he didn't play Cincinnati. Get to New York early, rest the knees, 
practice in the conditions early that he's going to play in. Practice with the Wilson ball early. And by the way, I've mentioned the Wilson ball twice now. In Montreal, in Cincinnati, it's a pen ball. Then it changes to Wilson. Nadal is, is someone who's complained about that. Other players have complained about that too. But that's how it is. Nadal did what he had to do. Smart decision to skip Cincinnati. And the only concern with Nadal really has to do with what might happen in the final weekend. But as far as Rafa's form, his confidence, his consistency, his health, everything appears to be in good order. The only thing with Nadal is his recent performance against his rivals, Federer and Djokovic. The other thing is he still hasn't put together any sort of consistent string of hardcourt results with good health. So how much does he trust his body? At this point, it's probably more mental than physical. If he's going to have to go through wars and battles in, you know, on these hard courts, how much does he trust in his head that he's going to be able to play maybe back-to-back four-hour matches? How vulnerable is he mentally with his confidence in his body, in his own health? That's the other concern. But other than that, Nadal's looking A-OK. Um, let's go seed by seed. Sasha Zverev has the highest double fault rate on tour right now. Double faults per second serve. In his last 52 matches, he's around 20% double fault. That's one in five second serves. You absolutely cannot win a tennis match like that. Um, so that's why he lands himself on upset alert. You have Karen Hatchinoff percolating here at the end of this season, or towards the end of the Grand Slam season, I should say. Uh, he did not have a good fall, um, or no, he did not have a good spring, I should say, if I knew, if I know my seasons. Um, but now he's he appears to be back in form, and these are great conditions for him. Slow hardcore is probably uh, where I think Kachanov plays his best tennis. You have John Isner, who hasn't been able to stay healthy at all. You have Marin Cilic, who has been on a steady decline. You have Diego Schwartzman, who is dangerous but capped by his lack of offensive output and his lack of serve. You have Benoit Paire. I'm not really sure what to say about Paire, but uh, he, you know, he's... Volatile can can certainly play some threatening tennis, but uh, we we haven't really seen him um, blossom. And Fernando Verdasco, a moderate threat, won't go too deep into the quarter. So if you look at Nadal round by round, and I don't know if we did this, but uh, John Millman in the first round, uh, he could have Hyun Chung, a qualifier, and I I hope. We get to see him play Chung. That would be a potential third round. That is if he doesn't play Fernando Verdasco. But John Isner, um, until Karen Hatchinoff, things um, things could be pretty straightforward for, for Rafa. Dark Horse is Francis Tiafo. Tiafo hasn't inspired me this year. I, I kind of expect more from Tiafo sometimes, and that's just a general statement on, on his entire career uh, so far. Based on his potential, his athleticism, his hands, um, his abilities. But 
he started off the year best of five with a fantastic quarterfinal showing in Australia. Francis has the ability. Uh, let's let's see what he can do here. But I'm kind of going off of that, and I'm going off his ability. But he's been inconsistent, but motivated. U.S. Open crowd. I kind of like his draw. Maybe Francis Tiafo can go deep here. Upset alert, Alexander Zverev and Marin Cilic. Let's see, who does Cilic play? Because I forget. Cilic draws Martin Klezan. Always dangerous. That's always an unseated guy who hovers, you know, normally ranking between 50 and 100 that I don't think the top players like to play. He's a tricky lefty. Uh, then maybe Krajinovic, maybe Kasper Ruud. Um, then possibly John Isner at some point. Possibly Jan Leonard Struff. I think it's a uh, moderately difficult draw for uh, Marin Cilic, and I don't expect him to go very far. Early popcorn is Basilashvili and Martin Fuksovic, which is a good 50-50 first-round match where I just have a weird hunch that's going to be a good match and it'll go 4-5. Without further ado, we go to the final weekend. Um, I will try not to go to in the weeds with previewing matches that may or may not happen. I know I was uh, I was chalky here. I have Nadal Federer and Djokovic and team. Those are my, my semifinals. Nothing compelled me to pick against any of them. Nothing compelled me. I don't know really who's most vulnerable. I'm confident in Dominic team, although if Nick Kyrgios puts it together, that would be as far as the quarterfinal. So Kyrgios would need to not only put it together against team, but put it together against a few opponents before Dominic team. Feel like that's um that's that could be dangerous. Maybe that's something to look out for. Um, but RBA in team's quarter, I'm kind of confident in team. Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, I I didn't see anything. Even though I think Nadal has a tough quarterfinal in Hatchinov and Djokovic has a tough quarterfinal in Daniil Medvedev. I don't see either of them getting over the hump. If one of them isn't right, if Djokovic has an elbow, which I think is fine, but if Djokovic has an elbow, well, Daniil Medvedev can certainly take advantage. If Nadal's having knees, well, Karen Hatchinov can certainly take advantage. But short of that, I'm confident in him. Let's go to the final weekend. Djokovic over Federer in four sets. I think that doesn't have much to do with the result in the Wimbledon final. I think that more as a, uh, the reason I'm predicting that has much more to do with the conditions, where Djokovic's game is at, and where Federer's game is at. Nothing more, nothing less. Doesn't have anything to do with Wimbledon. I also have Nadal beating Team in five sets. Team has shown me enough against Nadal that I, I, I do think that this can go five sets once again. But I would be fairly confident in Nadal, as he tends to do against Team in best of five. He tends to figure him out. He tends, by the end of the match, especially in Paris... He tends to be quite comfortable against Dominic Team. Sometimes it takes a little while. And uh, maybe that has to do with how much energy Dominic Team has to exert in order to stay with Rafa Nadal. Um, maybe it has to do with tactics and Nadal being a, a tactical master of adjustment. Uh, it's, it's very hard to say, but that's what tends to happen. Uh, so I give Team the benefit of the doubt with five sets, but I'm confident in Nadal. And then 
Uh, a Djokovic-Nadal final, that would be a repeat of Australia. Um, there's a lot of debate I've seen about who benef which benefits Nadal, which benefits Djokovic. Uh, a faster court or a slower court? At this point, God, it's hard to say. You can make arguments for both. Djokovic hits through a faster court better, which could be his weakness, his, his inability to hit through slower courts. So in that sense, it helps Djokovic. But the way Nadal's playing on faster courts these days, with his aggressive play, helps him too. So um, that's hard to say. But with the difficulties that Nadal has in this pattern, uh, in this matchup against Djokovic, I think the perfect circumstances need to come around where Nadal gets Djokovic at less than his best. I think those circumstances need to happen. Whether it be getting him on the right surface, um, in the perfect conditions, maybe getting a tired Djokovic, maybe getting a less motivated Djokovic, maybe getting a less informed Djokovic. That's what Nadal needs, I think, to get his, confident back, his confidence back in this matchup. I, I know I said I don't think Federer will have lack of confidence um, from his loss against Djokovic. I think that when the, the way Nadal has lost to Djokovic on hardcourt in the last slam final, I think that that's more scarring. I think losing badly is more scarring than losing in a tight heartbreaker. But at the end of the day, I think on hardcourt, I don't need to go much further than recent results and a lack of evidence that this right now in 2019 with where Nadal, with how Nadal is playing, and with how Djokovic is playing, um, I don't think that there's a lot of evidence that things are going to look, that things would look hypothetically very different. So this, folks, is my final weekend. I hope I didn't miss anything, um, but if I did, if something didn't come up, if there's a storyline that wasn't mentioned. Uh, there will be comment response on Monday. Hopefully this doesn't sound horrible. I'm going to try to get this cable. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it by Monday. Um, apologies that this preview was late. But we're here, and we did it. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. And most importantly, I will see you next time. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.